Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 284, Don't Kickstart Your Game, presented by Nicole Cutler and Avenel Wing. Good morning, Metatopia. I am here with uh, Nicole Cutler, and we're going to be talking about why you should not kickstart your game. Um, We understand that that is advice that is not uh, what you might want to hear, but we're here to explain to you why we're taking that position and maybe protect you from making some mistakes. Nicole, do you want to take a second and introduce yourself? Yeah, um, my name's Nicole Cutler. Uh, I've been working full time in the board game industry for about five years now. Um, I've worked in production operations management and run a lot of Kickstarter campaigns. And I do want to say that like this opinion is my own. It's an opinion I've had for about three years now. um, And it's not representative of any company that I work for. That is an absolute (laughs) valid point. Um, I am Avina Wing. I'm with Double Exposure. We run the Envoy program. So we work with about 70 different publishers. I also run Metatopia. So every year we have about 300 game designers that come and meet us in Morristown, New Jersey, or in this case on the internet. And so I also, like I I do represent Double Exposure's position that if you are not uh, fully prepared to kickstart that game, you should not do it. Um, So Nicole, what's your number one reason for saying that, for like taking that position? I've met a lot of new creators who have lost a lot of money trying to kickstart their game. to be clear, most of them are people who have successfully kickstarted their game. So they've done the process, they've created the art, they've paid for that upfront cost, they've actually raised money, sometimes you know tens of thousands of dollars, and end up at the end of the day losing money at, when all is said and done. I mean, I think that a lot of new creators don't necessarily realize that that's what might be happening behind the scenes. But isn't Kickstarter a way to just print money for yourself? <laughs> I mean, I've seen so many people say like, oh, you made X amount of money on Kickstarter and they think that the person actually walked away with X amount of money and it's not the case. Um, My first response whenever a client says to me, oh, we just hit $500,000 is, oh shit. It's because there's so much that goes in behind the scenes that you just don't see where you can't account for it. And I've seen little publishers who have done, you know, $5,000 and been able to produce their game. And then at the end they go, oh shit, I forgot to pay myself. I didn't pay me anything for this. Yeah, I mean, maybe you walk away, you know, you make $10,000, you walk away with like one or two, but how much time did you put into it to make that, like how many hundreds and hundreds of hours did you put in? Um, I've I've seen people, hit that money, hit that amount of money and not realize that, you know, production's going to come out of that. Shipping's going to come out of that. Um, marketing's coming out of that. I've seen creators, you know, say, well, I'm just going to reinvest every dollar that this marketing avenue brings in. And they're not realizing, well, you have to you know, use that money to make the product. So there's a right. lot of ways to lose money if you're not really careful with what you're doing. What do you think is the thing that most people that is most underestimated? Is it actually shipping? Is it the production costs? Like what in the horror stories that you've heard? What's the thing that trips most people up? Um, I think, and this is a problem that you know, or a hurdle that even big publishers have is overproduction. A lot of the times, especially new creators see, you know, stars in their eyes. Oh, 500 people wanted this product. A thousand people wanted this product. Um, It's going to have a longer lifespan. I should print twice as much and put it in distribution. And it's just not that easy. And it's so, if if your cost on a product is $5 and you over 
produce a thousand units, let's, you know, five grand that you just out of your profit that you just is gone. Um, and it's very common to just have product just sit there and, and essentially be dead stock. And the distribution model is broken in such a way that if you're a Kickstarter publisher and you are not already in distribution, when you hit launch campaign, you're not going to get into distribution in your first year with your first product. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. They imagine that they're just going to print extra copies and then put them in game stores and it'll just work. Uh, another thing that people don't or new creators don't necessarily take into consideration is um, margin. So I've seen creators, you know, say, okay, well, this costs $5 to produce, I'll make it 10. And then I'm making, you know, 50%. And that's just when you're talking about production and, and the, the risk of the money, um, the amount of the cost to freight it, to ship it, if you're subsidizing any shipping costs, that margin is going to disappear very fast. Right. Uh, someone on the chat brought up storage, right? If you have an extra 1,000 copies, you have to put them somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I had a conversation with somebody at a Gen Con probably about three years ago where they literally walked up to me and said, I need your help and had just this stricken, I'm at the end of my rope look. And so we tiptoed around the corner to a quieter spot. And I said, okay, so lay it on me. And they said, I have 3000 copies of my game. And if I do not manage to sell them this weekend, my wife is leaving because I took a second mortgage on the house, promising her that I would be able to make this work. And they had crowdfunded and covered part of their costs and did not have a plan on the back end. And all I could do was say, I'm, I'm so sorry. There, there is nothing I can do to salvage this for you. I don't have a magic wand. Um, I think it's it's particularly dangerous that Kickstarter can be, and Kickstarter is a great tool. Like when you, if you are, have the steps, if you have the background, if you know what you're doing, Kickstarter can be a great tool, but it's also a double-edged sword because it is so easy to make that money and to like to spend it when you don't know. It, it, I, I always say that the the more you make on your first campaign, the more you stand to lose because you just have all that rope to hang yourself with if you allow it to happen things that uh, people have been shocked by is they'll be like, I'm going to launch my campaign in, you know, September, October, November. And when I say, okay, so how are you handling taxes for the year? Do you actually have a plan for offsetting all of that income? Like, are you paying your printer before the end of the year? How is your financial year set up? Maybe, you know, maybe they're running October to October and that will work out just fine. But they're genuinely surprised when I'm like, you don't want to make $50,000 on a Kickstarter in November, have that money land in your account, and then have to tell the IRS what you're doing with it. Like, that's that's ugly. And they just, it, it isn't a thing that comes up in the, how do you run your Kickstarter forums? I never see that point show up. Mm -hmm. And um and to that point, I've seen so many new creators not even realize that they need a separate business account that running, make, make, making a Kickstarter, you're manufacturing a product. You're essentially eventually selling that product. You are a business. You have all the legal, financial, you know, responsibilities and liabilities that come with it. You can't just, you know, decide that you're going to sell a product, manufacture a product. And if it works out, you'll make a business later. No, you need to have a separate business account account for your money, have it separated from your personal finances, because it's just so much worse at the end of the year if you haven't done that. And you have to go back and try to figure out, well, was this a personal expense? Was this part for my game? Um, so I think that if you're not interested in running a business, you should not go to Kickstarter. If you don't have a business plan, don't go to Kickstarter. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's so easy to get sucked into the hole of like, well, you know, I lost, you know, a, a decent amount of money. I have to run a new Kickstarter to make more money to make it back. And uh, you get onto what uh, Peter, my, my former business partner, I call the hamster wheel, where you're like you're running because you need to kind of catch up like, well, you've already invested this money in art. So now you have to produce it because, you know, and it, it just becomes sunken cost and, and you can spiral down that way. Absolutely. Uh, so then I'm curious, 
tips if if somebody has a campaign that they're sitting on that they're getting ready to launch what do you feel like they should be like what's the checklist of questions they should be asking themselves uh and what should lead them to the nope uh, well, I mean, you, I think you made a great point. Like if you don't want to run a business, if your long-term goal is not to be a publishing company that handles marketing, that handles, you know, accounting, that potentially contracts employees, if you don't want to be running a business, just don't do it. Like that's, that's step one. Um, if I, if you don't have a tendency to to be good with money you might want to have someone else that you partner with who can like handle that kind of thing um step two is you know making sure that you know the cost of every single thing that is going to you before you even spend a dollar on art like know what your manufacturing cost is going to be know what your shipping cost is going to be know what add-ons you're going to do any stretch goals you're going to do i've seen so many people you know, just decide, oh, you know, I, I, I hit my, my goal day one, I have to add things. And suddenly their cost on their product is more than what they're actually selling it for. Because you can't go back and just be like, well, just kidding. The game's going to cost 30. Sorry to everyone who already backed for 20. Right. So knowing what you're actually offering and what that's going to cost you to offer it is so important. Uh, so I often compare the current state of game publishing to how book publishing behaved and the things that people said about book publishing when Amazon launched and allowed people to start doing print on demand and self-publishing Kindle books. And one of the big differences that has become excruciatingly clear to me over the last year or so is that there's a fundamental difference where the risk involved in self-publishing your great American novel on Amazon was the reviews that said, you know, you really should have this copy edited by somebody that doesn't know you, right? Um, and But the exposure was so small that there was a glut of self-published uh, titles that came out and it didn't take anybody's business, livelihood, marriage, house down with it. Uh, whereas Kickstarter... It's different because there are so many actual Kickstarter specifically for board games or for, for games, analog games, uh, has so many components that can go wrong and such it's physical, right? If you end up with a shipping delay, you don't understand Chinese New Year and don't know that even if they promise you that it's going to ship the first week of February, it's not shipping the first week of February. It never mm -hmm. does. Anyone who's shipped in China knows that or produced in China knows that um, you then have to communicate to your backers. And if the postal service has a rates increase in that time while you're waiting, all of a sudden there goes, there's some of that margin that you were counting on that's just gone. And so that's right. an interesting point where people are just taking on more risk than they understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you misunderstand, if you misestimate shipping by a you know, dollar per backer and you have a thousand backers, a thousand bucks, like just just gone on shipping changes from year to year, which is pretty common. Like it, shipping rates increase five to ten percent every year, especially with COVID. We're seeing the spikes. Um, another thing that that people don't necessarily understand, um, you know, we see uh, EU friendly shipping, Australia friendly shipping, and think, well, that's what that's what you have to do on a Kickstarter. But do you know what goes into the back end? Do you know that you're shipping that into Europe, paying the VAT front? Um, are you expecting to cover those costs? Is that going to be a surprise? Can is it feasible if you only have a hundred backers and ten of them are in Europe? Or is that a now reasonable cost if you're not trading big games, you know, big quantity of games in there? Are you offering things that are just going to cost you ten times more to actually pay for? Uh, you just said pay the VAT up front. Uh, if you're looking at kickstarting and selling and accepting European backers and you don't know what the VAT is, don't, don't. If that was lingo that confused you, don't. <laughs> uh, Kurt well, actually makes, Kurt with Smirk and Dagger makes the point over in the chat that it's one thing to kickstart your dream project and provide it to backers just to have a finished thing, right? If you're doing this as a hobby and you have figured out what your acceptable risk margin is and you are doing exactly the right number of copies for your backers, you have a printer that's going to do exactly that. And your dream is get the game on the table and see somebody you don't know. 
playing a copy of your game that they handed you money across a convention table for, game on. If you have visions that you are going to be the next big thing, you're going to, you know, publish the next werewolf or the next uh, Tower of Madness. It's not going to work that way. Um, game weights. Oh, that is an excellent point. Um, have you seen, have, have you had experience or seen people get caught by increasing components and getting shocked by shipping on that side? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I've seen campaigns, I haven't been part of them, but I've, I've heard from friends, you know, well, we'll just add, you know, metal coins, and they don't realize metal coins cost or weigh half a pound. And now you're bre breaking into a new bracket of shipping weights that could cost up to two, $3 per pound, depending on where you are. Um, and if, if you were a lot of, uh, a lot of creators, decide to collect the, you know, the shipping during the campaign, not factoring in all those potential weights, especially if, that, if they hadn't even priced out components, they're not necessarily factoring in the weights and soon it can just completely spiral. Doing shipping, like not even related to a Kickstarter, shipping materials costs so freaking much. And the number of times that I've had something where I was doing 20 objects, and I've just spent $100 on shipping material that I didn't account for. And I'm like, how the crap did this project just go $100? Oh, right. Because shipping materials and my time is mm -hmm. worth something. And um, yeah. um, you can ask the factory, like, what is this product going to weigh? Are you adding the weight of your materials, your box, your, your padding that can cost, you know, that can add half a pound, an entire pound, depending on how big you're going, how big your box is. Um, and it can, it can really get away from you. Say that somebody is, is sitting on a campaign or is now like staring at all the work that they've put into art and into layout and design and play testing and going, well, crap, I didn't think about any of these things. What do you recommend they they do? Like, what's their next step now that they're like, oh, both Abby and Nicole say this is a terrible idea. I'm going to go think about this. Well, before getting to that point, before deciding to go down a Kickstarter, I'd always recommend pitching your game to a publisher because publishers know, you know, what the market looks like, what, you know, mechanics are in, what what's right for their line. If you've already committed to going down the Kickstarter road, if you've already already invested in art if you've already you know done this much work on the back end and you, you, uh, it might be worth talking to smaller publishers smaller publishers who have already committed to this route um like your jelly beans or um who who might be interested in partnering in a way where you can kind of alleviate yourself from at least the the back end of like not knowing at least you can you maybe partner with someone who has the experience of what a Kickstarter is and can guide you down the right road to prevent you from you know making those mistakes again. Um, someone asks, can you comment on campaigns offering non-game relevant accessories like T-shirts, mugs, cosmetic figures, and the like? I need someone other than me to tell a friend that these things are not a good idea. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to word it as as nice as possible. Don't just don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't. People like mugs. People like you know t-shirts for things that they're interested in for you know existing product lines. Like yeah, you're gonna see your Star Wars t-shirts. People are gonna eat up your Star Wars t-shirts. If people aren't invested in your game, if there's not that relationship. They're not going to be inspired to wear a shirt with your game art on it. They're not going to be inspired to have figurines. It, it, you're opening up yourself to producing more product based on an IP that doesn't really exist yet, that no one's really inspired by yet. So pump your brakes and, and produce the best game you can if you're doing that. Don't get crazy fancy with the back end. And also, going down the route of crazy add-ons dilutes your brand right don't don't do that make your make your name about the game or 
or make your name about the weird shit that coexists with your game, but like really commit to that. That should not be it. The, at that point, the game becomes a secondary consideration. It's a Kickstarter for the weird shit, and then the game happens. I'm going to use personal experience because everyone likes to, you know, laugh at their history. Um, we, I, one of my very first campaigns, like my third, um, was Lady and the Tiger, and uh, I mean the art's gorgeous, but it was it's very expensive. So expensive. It was way more money than anyone had any business putting on a $20 game by a company that no one had ever heard of yet. So we decided to make notebooks because the art was so gorgeous. Let's just slap them on notebooks. And we made like a thousand extra of these suckers. I'm sure there's still a warehouse somewhere that has these notebooks on a pallet. And then we're paying, we're paying 12 bucks you know, a pallet per month for storage on. If you're not invested in the IP, no one really needs, you know, Lisa Frank versions of these notebooks everywhere because it's, you know, it's just a notebook. I'll go to Publix and get a notebook. Right. Well, and if you're going to do something weird, like let's say that you're, uh, I'm going to use an example that just came to mind. If Bicycle had decided that for tattoo stories, they were actually doing temp tattoos, right? Let's pretend that in an alternate universe, they crowdfunded this game. And they included a bunch of temp tattoos, maybe by celebrity tattoo artists in order to drum up interest. That has some like cross market appeal. Um, but also, if I had been involved in the process in this alternative universe, I would have said to them, you have to be planning on using these as convention promos. You have to be using these as marketing. And so build your plan, not just around sending these out to your Kickstarter backers, but also how are these going to work for you? And mugs and t-shirts do not work for you in the convention scene because <laughs> no one gives a shit. Right. Okay, maybe, so it's something, nice. <laughs> maybe if it's something small that you can give away to promote what you're actually making, that might, you know, be worthwhile. But as like, oh, I'm going to make extra money on this product. Just if you're going to do something, stick to a thing. Yep. Yep. Um, someone asked uh, DMK Creative, what rule of thumb, I hate that phrase because it was about beating your wife. So what basic rule do you have to help creators to understand the cost of their own time paying yourself as part of a Kickstarter campaign? I mean, at the end of the day, if you break down your hours and you didn't even you weren't even able to pay yourself minimum wage, that's not a business model. That's not a business model that's ever going to be able to afford, you know, paying yourself in a way that you can do this full time. So, you know, really pay attention to like what hours you're putting in and when all is said and done, how that actually breaks out to what profit you've made. You know, it's not just, okay, at the end, you know, you made a thousand dollars, you made two thousand dollars. Focus on how much time you put in to get that. Um, and part of what I hear there is that if you're trying to use a Kickstarter to replace your day job, don't. If if you were okay doing this as a hobby, as a second job, as a thing that you putter at over the course of a year or two, um, just be aware that it's a second job. It's not going to sustain you. It's not going to sustain your household. And if you get numbers that seem like they're going to, it won't. And to that point, I've had a lot of friends who are designers, you know, say to me, well, I, the reason I wanted to kickstart and I didn't want to pitch my game to a publisher is because I don't, I don't think that it's fair that they make all the profit, that they make all the, the money and I only get, you know, five or 10%. And what I would say to that is like, really look at how many hours you're committing to running your own game, how much risk you're taking on to do it. And at the end of the day, even if the game doesn't, you know, go too far with the publisher, even if you've only made a thousand or two thousand dollars off of off, off this title that you've sold that you've licensed to this publisher, it's probably going to come out way more per hour of your time than kickstarting your own game. And they've already done the learning curve, right? They already have somebody that knows how to do customs and they already have somebody that knows how to calculate the shipping and knows how to negotiate, knows what bleed is, right? Like if you're learning desktop publishing in order to make your game, you have just committed to uh, become an expert on a thing that even people who do it every day are not experts. 
I mean, I'm I'm a production manager, and I don't even I don't even pay attention to the blade. Like we have graphic designers for that. I I, hand, I talk to the to the manufacturer. I do scheduling. So I I do this full time, and I couldn't tell you how to make blade because we have humans. people. In how many humans are involved in the process of making one game in your world? In my world, at least 10, at least 10 between artists, graphic designers, art man art directors, um, myself with the production companies, talking to logistics, distribution, like it, you need a team, you need a team and you can't support a team on a single campaign. The worst thing you can do is, you know, even if you make, you know, six figures on a campaign is think, well, I can just you cannot hire someone. Do not hire someone. Um, that being said, like there's also business relationships that exist with publishers. You have, you know, access to distribution. You have an existing audience. You have, um, you know, connections to uh, countries who want to localize games in, you know, in their language. So maybe you're getting a smaller piece of the pie by going with the publisher, but there's, it's a bigger pie. It's a much bigger. Pie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so someone pops in with, uh, is paying yourself important for your first game or is it more important to get the game out and to get the exposure? If you're, it depends on what your goal is. If, if your goal is like with, with Kurt said to just have a hobby, make it, want to share it with people, then exposure. If you're, if it's more important for you to pay yourself, don't do it because you can't rely on that. How many publisher? How many Kickstarter publishers have you seen be one-hit wonders? Just off the top of your head, eighty percent of them. Yeah. Uh, how many of them were three-hit wonders? The rest. Yeah. And so, if you're, if the question is, how do I become a publisher with longevity and with multiple titles? Kickstarter is probably not the answer to that. Or if it is, you're going to have to build iteratively. And we are talking a seven to 10 year plan, not a one to two year plan. Another thing to Does keep in mind is like, fair? yeah. And if you're, if you're looking at other creators, like, well, they, they did this, you know, this company did this, this new creator did this. Look at when it happened, first of all, because Kickstarter is a completely different ballgame than it was even two years ago, much less like four or five. If you're seeing, you know, if you're basing your the stars in your eyes around a campaign that raised fifty thousand dollars in 2015, that's just not gonna. That same campaign launching today would do five, maybe, maybe five. Um, so look at when it happened, and then also look at what happened after that. Did they fulfill on time? Did they offer things that were unrealistic? Did they completely crumble? Are they even still around right now? So I mean, to use Jellybean as an example, I love Jellybean. Peter's great. The team is amazing, but in 2015, it was so easy for them to pull in $80,000 on a campaign, $90,000 on a campaign. They have not been able to do that because in the last two years because Kickstarter is such a different ballgame. There's so much more competition. There's so much more expectations from art. And it, it's, you, you, there, there's just it's too much noise right now. So you, if you're comparing something that someone did, look at when it happened and what's happened since. Absolutely. Um, the other thing to keep in mind on that front is that if you're thinking $50,000 or $60,000 is going to make you as a publisher, stop and think about the fact that $50,000 in most areas of the country wouldn't even feed you for a year, feed and clothe you for a year, much less produce a game. And therefore, like, be realistic, be uh, absolutely ruthless about the fact that that $50,000 is already spent. Now what? Yeah, I mean, if, if we're talking about a Kickstarter campaign that raised $50,000, if they included shipping in that $50,000, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, if they do everything right, if they've calculated everything out exactly, maybe they walk away with 5,000, maybe. And that, and, and you break that down by hour spend and that's not, probably not minimum wage. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is that, um, there's no one, like anybody who tells you that they have the Kickstarter model on lock and they're going to tell you exactly how to run your campaign so that it is successful, they are full of shit. They don't. I don't know. You don't know. There isn't anybody out there that right now could write the guide for the perfect Kickstarter campaign. 
look at any publisher that's ever done a five-figure campaign, a six-figure campaign. And if like they have campaigns that hit, you know, $5,000 after that, $10,000 after that. So if, if you're looking at, at publishers, experienced publishers with teams that have done it before, that have hit 500,000, a million, and still have those campaigns that don't necessarily pay off. Like it, it just shows you that no one has the answers and paying someone for all the answers is paying for something that you can't promise. It's just, it changes too much. There's no magic formula. There isn't. Um, so there's a piece of, of Kickstarter advice that every time someone regurgitates it at me, it just causes me to, to spontaneously combust. And it, I hear it more coming from the RPG side of things. Um, and Kickstarter kind of cracked down on this the, sometime after the last time I lost my stuffing in public about it. But the, uh, the idea that you set your funding goal at half of what you actually need so that, oh, everyone look at that face on Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> she has the same outrage I have. Um. <laughs> if you can afford to lose the difference. If you can afford to set your goal at $30,000 and know that you need 60 and pay that $30,000 when you hit somewhere in between, then sure, I guess. But wow, that is setting yourself up for failure. It gives us the funded in one day badge, Nicole. <laughs> what good is funding in one day if you cannot afford to make your product? Like if you're like if your goal is to make money and then not be able to produce something I, I guess that'll work for you but in reality when you actually have to produce this product when you actually have to ship this product out to backers how how are you going to do that okay so genesis of legends over in the chat touches on a thing and he asked a specific question but i'm gonna broaden it out um and i'm gonna state this in a very avi way nicole is way more diplomatic than i am Backers are terrible. If you are not prepared to deal with backers, do not do this. They are awful. They are demanding. They want to know the specificity of how you are spending every single dollar. They want to know how you're spending every single minute of your life. They uh, demand transparency that is ridiculous, and they get rude. Over a couple of backer comments before, I'm not going to lie. Um <laughs> The problem is that backers don't necessarily understand that, especially if the goal is to, you know, to, to be a business long-term, they do not understand that paying yourself to do this thing, to spend time away from your family, away from, like, if you break down you, where your money's going and put paying yourself in there, they will attack. Like, they do not understand that this is, a time commitment that this is a business venture. Um, I probably would not have a job without Kickstarter, so I just want to like disclaimer that I do. <laughs> but yes, it's it, it it can be vicious. Well, and I think that some of it is specifically that uh, people who have come before have when someone started asking those questions were so afraid of losing backers instead of saying. That's not the social contract here. The social contract is you are taking on some of the financial risk in order for me to be able to produce this cool thing. And so either you trust me or you don't. Instead of holding that line and being like, hold on, the, the contract here is you are taking on some financial risk. I'm producing a cool thing. You get a thing at the end. And there's nothing in the middle that says you get to tell me how I'm spending my grocery budget. Uh, and so because people seeded that ground, now there's kind of this overgrowth of I'm now a junior partner and I should be able to dictate the terms because I gave you 25 or 50 or $150 without understanding that you didn't actually buy a voting share. And when we're, while we're talking about backer expectations, we've had, you know, five, almost 10 years now of Kickstarters offering free shipping, offering, you know, this cool thing, offering things that are unrealistic. And maybe at the end of the day, 25% of them didn't even fulfill the other, you know, 50%, 75% might have lost money trying to fulfill. And maybe the big guys were able to like make it work. But you know, when, when we really have all this, really, yeah. Um, when we, we have this expectation that like, oh, well, this $40 game needs to come with free shipping and, and we kind of spiral into that. 
backers now expect it and it's not doesn't make it a viable business model it just means that we've conditioned them to think that that's an acceptable you know uh value that we can't necessarily realistically offer i've never never build your business model around somebody that wouldn't pay 40 dollars for your game at uh, your local game store and will only buy it for five dollars in the clearance bin at target And that, that's a whole other rant about how uh, <laughs> discounting has, has devalued the work that people like you do, but it exists. And that is a very real issue. Um, somebody asks, thought about using Kickstarter for digital projects like RPG PDFs. Um, I will, I have, I think, more experience with the RPG side of things. Um, so yes, but charge a fair rate for your PDF. There is an entire, there are entire little pockets of the internet that will lose their stuffing if you suggest that you should charge $40 for an RPG PDF. Um, in many ways, especially right now when we're physically distanced, that PDF has as much value as a physical book. Um, if you reduce it by 10%, great, but don't devalue your intellectual property. Yes, you can. And, um distribute more broadly and more widely but also set the campaign at a reasonable rate don't look at it and go well since i'm i'm distributing this by pdf i only need a thousand dollars no your art still costs things your time still costs things your layout your editors your all of it right and yes you can absolutely put that product up on drive through rpg you can put it up print on demand there are many many ways to make that product available but if you don't make it sustainable and you don't think about what sustainable looks like then you've produced one product and undercut yourself anyway so if you're doing digital product be smart about it and you're also adding to that expectation of backers that this is what that this is what that product is valued at and that's bad for the community in general it leads us down the spiral of backers wanting things at discount rates and expecting you to produce it for them. Uh, the uh, Amazon free shipping, someone in the chat just mentioned that that causes people to try to bully. And Amazon makes money for, okay, yes, there are people who make money on uh, selling on Amazon. But ultimately, there is one person who's making money hand over fist on Amazon and free shipping benefits exactly one person. And it is not the people working with warehouses and it is not the people selling product and it's not the people making the games that are selling on Amazon. And they've gotten to a point where they have infrastructure, billions of dollars worth of infrastructure to drive this all around. Like they have everything sort like it's not a feasible expectation for anyone slightly smaller than Amazon. It's just not yeah. possible. So we got the question of what tools, publishing avenues or opportunities would you point people towards that should not be heading to Kickstarter? Um, Nicole had mentioned uh, pitching to other publish to existing publishers, but what other avenues have you seen work? Um, I've seen, you know, partnering with people. I've seen, um, I've seen, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a print-on-demand printer, Print and Play, or yep, Game Crafter, who will do small versions of your game, which might be a better avenue. Um, Kickstarter is not a substitute for a job and is not a substitute for having investors and having a financial plan. If you, if you were going to take a year off to go live in the woods and write the next great American novel, you would have a financial plan. Having a financial plan for how to publish your game is an option that Kickstarter has blinded a lot of people to. 100%. Um, so Actually, some part of this is if you think you're going to make hand, money hands over fist, don't be a game designer. Like, when, yeah, when I mean, even even pitching games, like I, there are maybe ten designers in this community of thousands and thousands of designers that are actually able to like not like make this their full time job without having a spouse or having you know some other form of revenue or development. I've I don't know you know, more than a dozen designers who actually do this full time. And and I mean, that's probably from like one game that happened to make it big 
10 years ago. It's a different, it's a different ballgame now. Um, so someone asked again about the Kickstarter Catch-22. If you set your goal low, you will fund faster and more people will jump on it. If you set high and struggle, you won't fund. Don't, like, don't get stuck in that loop. It's, it is the kiss and cousin to the, oh, that's a terrible phrase. All right, brain, get rid of that. Um, it is adjacent to the, uh, the, wow, my terrible idiom totally blew that thought out of <laughs> my head. Next. Um, um, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, the, uh, um, if you set your goal low, you will fund faster and more people will jump on it is just such a warped, like maybe that's how it worked a couple of years ago. Maybe you got enough momentum that people were like, oh, let's go look at this thing. But as the signal to noise ratio has gotten worse, that's no longer true. Mm-hmm. And if you're pr- putting yourself in a position where if you just barely fund, you're losing money, you are setting yourself up for failure. You are that it because realistically, that's probably what's going to happen. If you lower your goal to the point where it's easy to obtain and obtaining it would lose you money, that's probably where you're going to land. And then what are you going to do? It's like, great, it looks like you've made money, but if all you've actually done is lost money, what was the point anyway? You might as well have it. Would, have been better to not fund because at least you wouldn't have lost the money. About once a year, my husband makes me leave all Kickstarter groups on Facebook for about three months because there will be a period of time where there are back-to-back people who are halfway through their campaign and are like, hey, we're halfway through our campaign and we stalled out. We have a hundred followers or we have a hundred backers. What do we do to get more followers? How do we get more backers? And um if you are in a position where you are, have not already laid your social media groundwork and you don't already have a brand and you don't already know the answers to those questions, there is no reason for you to be on Kickstarter. If your game doesn't fund and you're looking at it going, but we had a hundred backers or I had a thousand people on my mailing list, um, you weren't ready. Another, um, thing that I've seen inexperienced creators do is, you know, see, you know, the first few days brings in you know, two, three thousand dollars and they think, okay, cool. Well, I can do that every two days. You, all the money is going to pretty much come up front and then you're going to have a lull and then maybe a little bit at the end. And if you get into like, well, oh, okay, I made three thousand dollars. I can start offering stretch goals. I can start offering X. I'm projected to make X. You know, it's just not going to work that way. You're going to hit a wall and you're going to hit it hard and you need to be prepared for that. Um, even seen established publishers that have, you know, already have games on the market, already have established fan bases, already have customers, already have super fans who have gone to Kickstarter and uh, either not funded or lost their shirt or have spent every single waking moment for the entire length of the campaign hustling to make it work in ways that were innovative and inventive and just sheerly brilliant and just barely covered their costs. And how much time and how much money do they put into that? How much marketing money do they put into that? How much of, how many hours in a day, let alone spread over 30 days? Like you can hustle and still make, you know, $2,000 at the end of the day and, and pay yourself some books an hour. Uh, someone in the Twitch comment said Fred Hicks of Evil Hat Publishing has mentioned that it took him about a decade to get to the point of earning McDonald's money. And so you just know that there's another revenue stream involved. That person has a spouse who has a good job or had a plan and set up investments in advance to sustain them. There's a lot of privilege baked into being able to publish games as your as your only focus. And a lot of the times I say, like, the first thing that you should do is talk to an accountant, talk to a lawyer, set up an LLC. It's probably going to cost you about $500. If you can't do that, and not everyone has $500, you know, to, to put toward a, starting a business. But if you can't, do not launch a Kickstarter because you stand to lose so much more than that. So if you can't even cover the cost to do the basic groundwork of, of starting a business. Uh, so also. Things go wrong 
right? We have a good friend who had a Kickstarter that just like it delivered, it delivered early. And there was a problem with the packaging where the boxes have to be replaced. And every single bit of margin from that Kickstarter stands to be sucked up in shipping new boxes out. Like, imagine that horror. You've gotten to the end, your product is with your with your backers, and something goes wrong in a way that your manufacturer will not cover all the costs. There's no insurance that covers the idea that uh, a component falls apart the instant you touch it. It doesn't matter how carefully you've prototyped it. It doesn't matter how carefully you've researched. Shit happens. Are you prepared to soak that? And even if the manufacturer provides all the product for free, even if they do, which is no guarantee, but even if they do, you're on the line for shipping it. And shipping is expensive. Shipping, I usually estimate to be about 40 to 50% of the actual campaign. Um, especially if we're talking about big box games, shipping a, a box the size of, I don't know, Azul even is probably going to cost you 10 to 15 bucks. So you break that out of, over like a few thousand backers. And if you have to reship that game to every backer, like you're in the red if you did yep. not pro- do this properly. You're, you're losing tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Just as mark as research before even thinking about putting together a campaign, get a stamps.com account, get a postage scale, and run around your house grabbing things like freaking cereal boxes and game boxes and shoe boxes. Put them on that scale and put it put those numbers into stamps.com and multiply that by the number of backers you think you want. And do that math. Put it into a spreadsheet and look at that math and go, will my campaign sustain that? And if the answer is no, or if you, the idea of using a post-campaign, um, like, okay, so I'm about to say some things. And if you don't know what they mean, you don't know enough to go to Kickstarter. Uh, if you're not using Backerkit or Crowdox or any pledge manager, uh, and you don't have that set up to collect shipping after the fact, if you think I'm just going to build shipping into this, and you have not put your game boxes that are on the shelf already on that scale and price them, you're not ready to go to Kickstarter. And it will make you weep. When we started shipping things from here for Envoy, I was horrified by how quickly a thousand or two thousand dollars just evaporated from our shipping account. Gone. It's gone. It goes so fast. I mean, you're talking about a big box game is going to cost at least you know fifteen to twenty bucks to ship. Even a small game, even if like the bare minimum that you're going to pay in shipping, it's probably like six to seven dollars. Even if you're talking about a tiny little card game, and and multiply that by the backers you think you're going to get, and it, it it'll boggle your mind. Um, somebody in the chat said mentioned stretch goals that devour the publisher's soul afterwards. Um, I've seen it happen. I'm sure you've seen it happen. I mean, even if, even when you plan it all out, you know what the weights are going to cost, you know what every dollar is going to cost to produce these stretch goals. Um, even if you set yourself up for as much success as you possibly can, which most creators don't know how to do or aren't experienced in doing and in, in putting themselves in a good position. But even when you do that, keeping track of every single, well, I, I offered, you know, unique art and also I offered this, you know, this component. Putting that all together and making sure you don't miss a single thing is so hard and risky. And if you do, do like, if you miss something, are you gonna just you reship those promos? Oh, cool, that's five to ten thousand dollars. You just that you're just eating. It's gone. The other thing that I see happen is inexperienced uh, campaign runners will fund, and then they'll fund plus ten percent, and people will start asking about stretch goals, and they'll go, oh shit. I have stretch goals. Fuck, I need stretch goals. What am I going to do about stretch goals? And they make things up on the fly and have no, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do custom art or we're going to let backers buy in and do the art direction. And then all of a sudden it turns into something where they've overpromised. They aren't prepared for, have you ever tried art directing with somebody that knows nothing about art direction? If you haven't, don't promise it. Um, or they, you know, they promise unique art on every game. Turns out the artist that you hired, the rates, or isn't taking on your commissions, or you know, got hit by a bus. Like you don't know, and you can't plan for it. Another thing that I've seen uh, new creators fall into the, the mindset of, well, if I offer this stretch goal, I'll make five thousand dollars more. 
if that stretch goal costs you $3,000, were you better off? Like, at what point are you actually better off when there's a cost in, involved with that, you know, getting new backers? Like, if you end up losing money at the end of the day, why, why we even bother? The other, there's an ongoing conversation um, that has sort of started propagating about the fact that people will um, dump a ton, like prepare and be like, okay, I'm going to run Facebook ads. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then they focus so narrowly on the hobby game market that already has, I don't know what the numbers are going to be with COVID, but two years ago, the numbers were something like 8,000 new games competing for retailer, ret yeah, retailer attention. I, at that level of, of volume, a, you're not you're not going to a, a stretch goal that puts you on the hobby game market uh, radar is not going to make a difference on how many backers you get or what your margin is. There's Absolutely. a tendency to stay really narrow, and that's not going to get you there. How effective is using print on demand for cutting costs versus raising money? I don't, uh, DMK Creative, can you expand that question a little? I don't understand what you're saying. Um, so the other pitfall that I see people get into is Kickstarter exclusives, which then undercut their relationship with the entire post-campaign market. So they will be like, we're going to do this game and there's only there's these components that are going to be Kickstarter exclusive, but then they don't include retailers into their thinking. And then retailers are like, eh, I don't want the game. And then you've, you've perpetuated that issue of 3,000 games under the bed. Right, and, and like to that point, Kickstarter exclusives are easy and good to offer if like you are actually doing this as a hobby and you don't expect to go into retail later because actually it's very hard and if you're not running a business it's not going to happen um so if you're only producing for kickstarter sure you can add kickstarter exclusives because you're not going to get to, to retail later and if you are going to retail later scrap that don't do this because it's not gonna happen um, people are horrified when they say, well, we'll just kickstart this and then we'll put it in distribution and then we'll kickstart our next game. And I'm like, okay, you need a minimum, minimum of four games in the pipeline before distribution will talk to you. And people are like, well, why does that, why would that be? Because there were 8,000 new games two years ago. Because it, it, despite the fact that we feel like a really small pool, it is a $1.9 billion industry. And, you know, distri distributors are in the business of making money. And when, when we're talking about that, we're talking about in volume because they're making, what, 2 3 5% of the actual MSRP. So they need to focus on volume. A one-hit wonder on Kickstarter, even if you made five or $10,000, one, you've probably already saturated anyone who's interested in this game because they've never heard of your company before and you're not going to have a lot of reach anyway. So they're not going to invest their time setting up you know, this business relationship, taking on the expense of, of, of buying your product that might not sell for a company that doesn't have a history in producing games, it doesn't have the audience that comes along with it, that retailers have not heard about or are not like asking them to buy the game because they don't know you exist. They are looking for long-term business invest investments. So if you're just, if you've done one Kickstarter and you think that you're gonna get into distribution, you're not. Um, the, the one hit wonder effect is really fascinating because I do have the conversation regularly where people are like, well, my first campaign funded and it's like, oh yes. Like, what do you have to say to the publisher that has had one successful campaign where they paid everybody and everything succeeded? Get out while you can. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. if things happen to go just right, and you've actually broken down the money in a sense where you know you know you've tracked that you know this print run covered all your previous expenses like art, paid you you know m at least minimum wage for your time, and you actually did not lose money. Stop now because you are very you're the lucky few. It is so unlikely 
you've hit the lottery, quit while you're ahead. And I hate to be so thinking that, pessimistic, yeah. but realistically, the numbers, it, it's just so hard when you're not doing this in volume. Um, I want to go back. I think I understand what DMK Creative is is asking about um, okay. printing on demand. I think that, I think what they mean is more like a, a game crafter kind of thing where you can just, you know, you've sold 20 units and now I can go to game crafter and print those 20 units. Um, if you're going Going the hobby route, which I think Kurt from Smart and Dagger mentioned, like if you're just doing this to make a game to see one other person that you've never met enjoying your game, that's an option. That's probably a safer option because manufacturers in China, you're going to be paying for freighting, for logistics, for um, minimum print runs of at least 500, if not 1,000 units. So printing on demand through a service like GameCrafter is probably a better option if you're genuinely just doing this as a hobby. But keep in mind that the cost to do that is going to be astronomically high compared to um, printing in China. So if you if you go to a, a, a printer in China and say, how much is this going to cost to produce this? And they say, yeah, it's $4 a game. That's probably going to be $25 a game with, with GameCrafter because they're in business. And now you're talking about a company that's not doing it for the volume, that's doing it for the individual revenue on each item. So it's going to be that much more. And now you're not able to offer a good value that the Kickstarter backers are expecting. So it, it, it's kind of like, well, you could, but make sure that you're offering, that you know what you're offering, you know what it's going to cost. Because if you don't, you price it assuming China, like it's going to be the same price as China or even close, that's another way for you to potentially lose money. Well, and each iteration of the cool factor, right? If you're like, I'm going to do dice and you price stickers and then you're like, well, I'll do engraved dice or I'll do embossed dice. Like being aware that engaging with something like Game Crafter means that each step up is proportionally more expensive. And so even if you manage to, to find a good price, if you were doing 500 copies in uh, somewhere other than the U.S., once you start doing that cool stuff because you've, you've had an inspiration with Game Crafter, it's just exponentially more expensive. I've used services like Game Crafter, Print and Play Productions um, to, to make to recreate big games specifically for having reviews done previously. And a game that costs, you know, under twenty dollars to make in China, a game that costs probably you know sixty like that would be an MSRP of sixty dollars, costs like three hundred to five hundred dollars to produce on print and demand because they are printing it to spec. They're making this game out of nothing and they're not doing it for volume. So it costs far more than we could ever charge for it. So it really has a, a very small, specific use. Um, and and yep. that should be kept in mind. Um, we have one more question that we have time for, and then we'll do the where you can find us on social media. Um, I've heard multiple times that publishers absolutely won't touch games that already took a shot at Kickstarter and failed. Has this been your experience or expectation? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, oh, that's interesting because that hasn't been my experience. So you expand. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I I thought I I misunderstood that. I thought uh, you meant retailers. So like I've seen retailers not want to touch games that have been. Oh yeah, yeah. Publishers, publishers. Sorry, publishers. No, I've I've not had that experience. Um, generally, because you're not hitting the, the the target demographic, because you probably don't have the art direction or the theme that a publisher might want to use, it's really going to be a different game. I've seen games fund on Kickstarter and then get picked up by a publisher, um, even if it's just bare minimum because they saw the potential there. So I, I don't think Kickstarter has any relation to um, what a publisher might want to do with it later. That matches my experience. And sometimes it's that you shake out the bugs, right? And publishers are like, you were close, but I can do better. Mm -hmm. so also, you use the word absolutely. There are no absolutes. There just aren't. If somebody says to you, this is an absolute, they are wrong, categorically wrong. Right. I mean, everyone okay, has different experience. Every, every publisher wants different things. So. so where can people find you if they want to uh, support the work that you're doing? Um, I'm on Twitter, Sidekick Nicole, and then um, I, I'm also on Facebook, but I don't really add people I don't know. So if you want to ask me a question, message me, don't friend me, like tell me what's going on, because crazy world out there. Uh, it is a crazy world. <laughs> I'm at Avenel uh, over on Twitter. That's the best place to find 
behind me. Uh, I will also be in the panel uh, watch party channel over on the Discord. If you aren't registered for the convention, you'll have to register for the convention to come and participate. But we would love to have you. I can field some of the questions that came in at the end over there. Um, but also, uh, I run Double Exposure's Envoy program, and you can actually pay me to have a consult so that we can talk about why you shouldn't kickstart your game. Do it. It's probably the best money that you're going to spend running a Kickstarter because you're just going to save everything else. All right. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you coming. Thanks.